Welcome everyone to the Two Tongues Podcast. Consider this your invitation to join Kyle and Chris on a journey through our minds. Where we explore the questions that have fascinated us for as long as we can remember. Could anarchy actually work? Does God exist? And just how did the cosmos get here anyway? Let me be the Virgil to your Dante, the Sacagawea to your Lewis and Clark. Let's take the guided tour through the dark chambers of our unconscious, seeking answers to the most important and unsettled questions of our shared existence. Ready or not, here we go. Here we go. Back at it. Yes, indeed. Plugging away here in the Two Tongue Studio. The Two Tongue Studio. The time, the land before time. Is that what we're calling it? I don't know. Maybe. I love. We can. I like that. It's <laughs> one of my favorite movies as a child. Yeah. Yeah. Dinosaurs, which I'm skeptical about anymore. Dinosaurs. I'm, <laughs> I'm not sure. You're not sure about them. Yeah, I don't know, man. <laughs> you know, the George Washington died. And a lot of other people did too, but George Washington died before we knew that dinosaurs existed. So George Washington didn't know that there were dinosaurs. <laughs> that dumb bastard! Isn't that crazy? Yeah, yeah, it is crazy. Um, but I'll tell you this: the uh, legend of the Cyclops in ancient Greek mythology. Mm-hmm. Um, there's pretty good evidence to suggest that the Greeks came up with that story because they found one or more One-eyed skulls. Of a, of a mastodon. Oh. Because if you see the skull of a mastodon, it's got a hole in the middle where the nose where the oh. nose connects, and it looks like the socket of an eye. And the and the elephant's eyes are on the side, kind of like a, like a, one of them weird-looking fish. Yeah. And so if you're just looking at the skull head-on, it looks like the skull of a man yeah. with grinding teeth mm. and one big eye in the middle. Yeah. So those motherfuckers knew about, not dinosaurs, but they knew about the... They, they were <laughs> even dumber. They thought they were cyclops. I actually, I think that there were probably worse Cyclops. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it makes me wonder uh, if like legends of dragons and griffins and things like that uh, have to do with somebody finding uh, fossils. Like I know that some of those like ancient temples um, would have relics in them mm-hmm. and some of them were, were fossils. That's a fact. Yeah. So they found strange things in rocks and thought there's some magic in this. Oh, yeah. You know, I wondered like, did, it obviously didn't survive, but do you think that they ever found like a... Archaeopteryx or something. Uh, that's one of those dinosaurs. It's like basically a bird. It's got it's got feathers. It flies. But if you saw just the skeleton of it in like limestone or sandstone or something, you'd be like, "That is a fucking dragon." I <laughs> bet it breathes fire. You know? Yeah, maybe. I don't know, man. I, I think that um, there's a chance that the legends of things like dragons and stuff are based on some sort of reality too, like. Um, like not finding fossils, but the fact that maybe we used to exist with things that uh, that we you know have legends about mm. that uh, are gone. You're getting far too conservative now. You're bringing the wor- you're bringing world history down to four thousand years. What are you doing to me right now? What are you saying? It's possible human beings lived alongside dinosaurs. No, I'm saying it's possible that human beings lived alongside things that have gone extinct, and we don't know what they were. Very true. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. The, um, the conspiracy stuff about the. Um, uh, what is the what is the big monkey that they think might have been Bigfoot? Uh, um, not 
monkey, but it's an ape. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, I know what you're talking Austro- about. No, no, no. That's all. Australopithecus. No, no, no. What was it called? I don't know. You know I what I mean, remember. though. I, knew, I do know what you're talking about, but yeah, I can't think of what it's called. So the, an, an upright walking giant hairy ape once walked to the earth. Yeah. The name escapes us, but that is true. And if there was any time where human beings or Neanderthals cross paths with one of those things, can you imagine the stories? Yeah. I mean, it's crazy, man. You're not going to believe what I saw in the forest. Do you think that's how it was back then, though? Or do you think that, like, we're so separated from it now that, that we're like, you're not going to believe this? But back then, they were like, yeah, no, I, I believe you. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's funny you say that. I've been reading um, Eric Neumann for the next episode of the podcast that I'm putting together, and it's one of Young's uh, pupils. And he said that primitive people... By the way, those guys talk in ways that... Lots of people would call racist today, but back then, calling somebody primitive, like primitive tribes or savage tribes or barbarians, it was not at all meant to be like a racial superiority sort of a thing. I mean, you can make that argument, but it was just a category. Yeah. It's just like a badly worded category. But he would say that primitive people didn't separate their imagination from the real world in the same way that modern people do. Mm. And that's where stories of magic and supernatural beings and things like that come from. Because if you can imagine a world, if you can imagine walking around in your waking life and, and feeling like you do in a dream, um, to some degree, I don't even really know what that means, but just imagine that that's possible. Um, and you were in that state of mind and saw... Gigantopithecus? Is that what it's called? Yeah, maybe. <laughs> you saw Gigantopithecus in the woods. Um, I think you would be more likely to uh, accept it and you would probably mythologize it. You know, mm. it would be something you'd think of it as something spiritual, wouldn't, yeah. don't you think? Yeah, possibly. He says that people, that people used to think that being alive was spiritual and I agree. You know, and existence was spiritual. And that's why th- these tribal people believed that everything was imbued with spirits. Spirits, yeah. the river and the trees and the sky. Because everything was considered to be made of spirit. Mm-hmm. And that's right along the lines of some shit I've been getting into. I was telling you about Bernardo Castrip and, and his idealism. That's that's what it's that's what it's like, man. It's really fucking cool. That is cool. Yeah. Gigantopithecus. I think G- that is it. I think it might be. Gigantopithecus. Now, Gigantopithecus on one side of the spectrum, mm-hmm. and the Hobbit guy of uh, Homo floresiensis on the other side of the spectrum. Yeah, we're talking about a two foot, three foot tall human being living on a little island in Indonesia, okay. and Bilbo a fucking Baggins. nine, ten foot tall, you know, Sasquatch. Yeah, that <laughs> who'd eat twenty bag lunches? <laughs> that damn Sasquatch. <laughs> that's who. I think that. Human beings are the product of Gigantopithecus mating with the uh, Homo floresiensis. That's how we got here. That'd be a really cool book. Somebody should write that. Yeah, yep. maybe. I had a, a a weird like waking dream about something that I think would be cool in a book. Um, yeah, let's hear it. I was at work and I was just like, you know. You know, sweeping sweeping cobwebs out of people's eaves, shit like that. And I had this, like, just, like, random image pop into my head of... Have you ever seen, like, the salt mines that are underneath Lake Erie? Like, these... Um, 
Now that you, I was going to say no, but then I remember seeing like I just remembered an image from like a History Channel show or something like Modern Marvels, where they they showed this big square shaped tunnel, uh, mm. way way underground, and I think it was a salt mine in under Lake Erie. Yeah, so it's these massive like cavernous salt mines, and they're huge. Like you'll see a, like a giant dump truck that if you yeah. stand next to it, it's like. It, it, it dwarfs you, and they just drive like, right down. Right, it looks like a fucking matchbox car in the side inside of the salt mine. That's amazing. I had this image of something underneath the ground that was designed to protect. Okay, so it, it's underneath the ground, and it's underneath the ground so that it will, um, you know, survive like a, an asteroid collision or a solar flare that wipes out all digital, um, you know digital recording of uh of information you know uh and what it is is it's this like underground it's not a mine but that's that's like what it made me think of but it's like an underground temple and the walls are just like stones that are, have like carvings in them they've got like the bible carved onto the walls and plato you know plato's republic carved onto the walls so there's a physical copy of it to uh you know sustain a cataclysm Oh shit! Yeah, man. So you're just cleaning cobwebs, and this image just pops in your in my head? head, man. This God. giant cavernous thing. That's pretty crazy. That's a cool idea. It man. is a cool idea. It we reminds, should do that. Kind of reminds me of like uh, that movie, The Fifth Element. You remember in the beginning, they had a temple. Um, it was like on another planet, wasn't it? I don't remember. I don't remember. I remember that movie, but I don't remember the details. Yeah, it was like a temple, and they had these. F- Four stones, and each stone corresponded to one of the elements. Yeah, yeah. Earth, fire, That's right. and I, I, I think it was something like that. It was something like in case of uh, apocalypse, you know. Yeah. But I don't know. I don't. Know. I don't remember the details. Good yeah. movie though. I had just yeah, I just imagined like these kind of like monks, you know, wearing like you know kind of rough spun robes and with the the hoods up, and they're just like shuffling around down there, carving things into the walls. Mm. You know, mm. crazy. It does sound pretty cool. Yeah, uh, it also reminds me of all the uh, of all the myths and legends about um, about finding treasure underground. Yeah. And I've been doing all these uh, podcasts about Young's pupils, and they talk about fairy tales and folk tales and uh, myths, and how those stories are all different ways of talking about going into the unconscious and finding something valuable there. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times, going into the unconscious is symbolized in the stories as going underground. And so that that's why you have you have uh, stories of the underworld, you know, in, in ancient in ancient cultures, yeah. because what that represents is not a real place necessarily, but a a place that you can get to if you sink down within yourself, you know, the, the unconscious, and it's scary, you know, it's the land of mystery, and you know, um, I don't know, <laughs> I like to paint a picture, but the only thing that comes to my mind is the Disney cartoon Hercules. Okay. When they go to when they go to Hades' lair, and it's like all the souls are like these wispy, weird looking, like you know, like eel eel ghosts. Yeah. You know, <clears throat> I might be conflating uh, Hercules with uh, Ursula's. Uh, uh, you remember in um, the Little Mermaid, Ursula had little souls. King Triton's soul was a little eel type thing. I don't really. I don't remember, remember man. It's I'm, been so long. Disney. Yeah, I don't watch Disney movies. That fucking propaganda. You say that, man, but I. Uh, <laughs> But I uh, watched, well, I haven't really watched it, but my kids have watched it many times, Turning Red, which is a new, newer Disney movie. Have you seen this or heard about this? Never even heard of it. So I didn't really know what was going on. I just saw, like, clips, you know, while the girls were watching it. 
and it's a story about these like four girls they're friends they're like 12 years old 13 years old or whatever and um one of the girls starts her period and they don't say that they say that she has a red panda spirit this is tied into her like i I assume chinese but some sort of asian uh uh, background um because her mom has the same thing and her grandma has the same thing in the story and when she gets emotional she turns into a giant red panda and she can't control herself and she's she's causing all kinds of destruction and she's trying to um she's trying to like control it and uh it's all it's all a symbol of what happens to a girl who starts uh, puberty and finds herself with all these intense emotions and feelings that uh, she that she's not used to and trying to come to figure out how to how to how to control it and it's all about this girl having her period but it's not it's not menstruation in the story it's her turning into a red panda hmm. and I thought to myself why has this movie not been made before why are these why are these girls expected to uh, not get any like warning, you know. Give them some warning when they're young, so that they can <laughs> they get prepared when this happens to them, you know. Yeah, I guess I don't know. I feel like um, I feel like they, if you have, if you're a daughter, if you're a, a a young girl and you've got a decent mother, I feel like you're probably gonna get some kind of a warning. Maybe I mean you know. Yeah, I mean maybe, but uh, how many warnings did you get from your parents about shit it was gonna happen to you in your life? It's, it seems to me like. Parents don't talk to their kids like they should. And part of it is that kids aren't, like, at the same level. Like, how do you tell a kid about something that's beyond them, Yeah, you know? It's like you can explain to you all you want, but you're just going to likely confuse them, and you're not going to make the point you thought you were going to make, you know? Yeah, I, I, I mean, I agree with you. I think that there are a lot of parents who don't talk to their kids the right way and, you know, about the things that they should. Um, I do think that... That should change, and I don't necessarily like when you were telling me the thing about the red panda spirit. I my anat- my natural reaction is to like recoil from that to think that it's weird, um, because I'm just like I don't want Disney teaching my fucking kids about th- important things in life because they they so very clearly spin it into the progressive agenda all the time. And I mean, what yeah. you were talking about with the red panda spirit, you know, that seems innocuous enough um but when does it when does it become not you know when does it stop being innocent because it does frequently yeah there's such a there's such a gulf between a movie like pinocchio which i never appreciated i never i didn't see it that many times growing up but um i never appreciated like the way jordan peterson talks about it Mm -hmm. like that, that movie contains all of the secrets of of you know what it what it is to be a human being. Like just watch the movie, and it's the sim- symbolic of your whole journey through you know individuation or, or maturity. I never saw that, but when I heard him talk about it, I was like, oh, interesting. Okay, he wants to be a real boy. Oh, okay. He go he goes to the land the he goes to the island of the misfit toys, and he you know it's like the nihilistic teenager who's lost in pleasure and and doesn't take anything seriously, and you know it's pretty cool. But then I then I. Then I hear somebody like uh, Molyneux talking mm-hmm. shit about Frozen. Like, um, my point is, those movies are on such different sides of the yeah. spectrum. Um, I, I'm not. I'm not sure that you would even call Pinocchio political, but you might call Frozen political. I think you would call political, or uh, <laughs> I think you would call Frozen political for sure. I think that you would call Pinocchio philosophical. Yeah. 
Um, and if people wonder what, what we mean when we say frozen it being political, there's this change that we saw in Disney movies that just first thing that comes to my mind, feel free to add, the thing that happened in Disney movies was that princes saving a damsel, at some point that became taboo because a woman doesn't need a prince to save her. And so the heroes of the Disney stories became the princesses exclusively. And the the male figures in the stories became less and less important to the point where they're um, almost like a like a pet or like a supporting character. Yeah. The male, male characters just keeps getting diminished and diminished. And if you look at Frozen, that's what you see. You see a powerful woman who doesn't need nobody and don't need no man neither. Yeah. And uh, she's got magic and can do whatever she wants. And um, I don't know. Yeah. No, that is, uh, that's definitely, I mean, you, you just think about all these Disney movies that are like that. I mean, I, I brought up recently that John Doyle video that he did about uh, neo-Gastonism as a political philosophy. Uh, <laughs> and that's on? Yeah, yeah. Uh, the, I mean, if you watch that movie, man, it, they are just blatantly villainizing, um, you know, manhood. Like uh, being an alpha. Because Gaston was awesome, you know? Um and the beast was kind of like a little bitch, like a little whiny bitch. And <laughs> Belle is this like proto feminist. Um, That's all true. However, um, Gaston isn't the only male character in the in the movie. Like uh, Belle's dad is this intelligent, supportive. Yeah, he's weak. Yeah, you you got to watch this video. Yeah, he is, is kind of weak. He's weak. He has no. He's not like giving his daughter good guidance at all. He's the uh, yeah. No, uh, well, I forget what. Bell's dad's name is, but I don't like Maurice. Him. Maurice, that's it. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, there's other male characters too. There's uh well, the Beast is a male character, um, and there's a uh, Gaston's little dysgenic manlet friend. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. His yeah little yeah. Uh, what's his name? Lafou. Lafou. Yeah. 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 When I uh, took the girls to Disney last time, uh, one of the things we did was uh, we went to the French section of, um, I can slip in my mind now, but whatever the park is, that's the world. Yeah. Um, is that Epcot? Epcot? Epcot, thank you. And they have this uh, theater, and you go in and you watch just like a short little clip of Beauty and the Beast, but it's like um, on a giant, uh, you know, like movie, like, you know, you go into the movies, but giant, like a giant screen, and it's like a sing-along and I got to tell you, man, there were parts of that where I just got choked up. I got emotional. Yeah? Yeah. I can't exactly remember what it was. You know, I do know what it was. What was it? I'm such a bitch, man. I'm, I'm, I'm the beast, apparently. It's, <laughs> um, it's the song. What song? Tale as Old as Time. Oh. And that little British lady that plays the teapot sings the song. And uh, there's a couple songs that get, really get to me. I don't know why the f- that f- this song would get to me, but it did. It's um, um, Jesus, uh, surely as the sun rises in the east. Um, shit, now now I'm losing it. You know the song. You know the I know song. The song yeah. it choked me up, man. It choked me up in the, in the uh, at Disney World. <laughs> yeah, you are officially gay. <laughs> <laughs> Another song that chokes me up is uh, the song from the Twilight. Um, from the Twilight movies, um, you're just getting gayer and gay. You're digging a hole, dude. Well, this is the, this is the thing. I'll try to dig out of this. The song from the Twilight movies. I don't remember the song originally, but it was covered by Newfound Glory on one of their 
on oh, one of their uh, movie um, yeah, albums. Yeah. From the screen to your stereo. From the screen to your stereo. And that, I can't even talk about that song without choking up. Man, it's, I wish uh, I knew what song it was. It's, um, uh, hold on. Um, I, I, a thousand years. I will love you for a thousand years. Oh, I don't, um, I don't know it. I still don't really know oh, it. Jesus. Um, I might not know it. So I'm trying to think of the lyrics here. Hold on. I don't know. Anyway, the song, the song is just, the thing that comes through in the song to me is that the spirit of love that's being sung about, even though it's being sung about uh, an individual, the, the lyrics of the song are saying that the spirit of love that between two individuals is the same spirit of love in, in anybody who's in love for all of time. And you share this spirit with all the lovers that have ever lived and ever will live. And when in the, in the song, when, when she says, or, or Jordan from <laughs> New Found Glory says, um, I will, I, I've loved you for a thousand years and I'll love you for a thousand more, it chokes me up so bad because I imagine like my own mom and dad mm-hmm. as like romantic teenagers and early 20-somethings. Like I remember myself in that and then I picture my parents in that same position and then I realize that the love between them and the love between me and my wife aren't different things they're the same thing and it just tears me up so bad emotionally I can't even fucking tell you man yeah like, I was trying to explain this to my sister um, when I, we were at my grandma's house painting and uh, I could be- I had to keep stopping and like collecting <laughs> myself <laughs> and that happened to me once before yeah I was driving in the car um, I had like a four hour drive uh, and I was so I'm listening to podcasts at the time it was like Jordan Peterson all day every day sure. so I was listening to Jordan Peterson in the car and he was talking about the story of Jesus and Mary and he said he connected the religious story to a, a, a regular story he said Mary had the Christ child who is God right it's not just any child it's the it's the it's the it's the best child. It's the God child, you yeah. know? It makes all of the children look like little shitty bitches. He, she, yeah. <laughs> right? So Mary's got the Christ child, the most precious thing in the world, God incarnate, potential incarnate, and she has no choice as a mother. She loves that child like any mother does. Mother loves her child like you can't even understand. If you're a father, you kind of understand, but I don't even know then. That kind of love, like identifying with that with that person like in a, in a hard to describe way that mother who loves that child so so much has no choice but to offer up her child to the world to be broken and those are the words Jordan used that Mary had to had to let Jesus go she wanted to protect him she wanted to hold him she wanted to love him and keep him safe like any parent does but she had no choice she had to let him go knowing that the world was going to break him. And that's exactly what happened. And, and so I think about that, and then I'm thinking, your mom, your mom, she had to do that. She had you in her arms. She looked at you like you were the Christ child. You were God incarnate. You were the potential incarnate. You were everything she, she loves and adores and could never, uh, you know, no, nothing greater can be, can be conceived. She wants to hold you and protect you and love you and kiss you and all that. And has no choice but to offer you up to the world, to have your heart broken, to be injured, to suffer pain and and depression and torment and failure and all the stuff that that life involves, and the connection between the Jesus story and 
my own story made me cry like a little girl. And I called my mom just to tell her I love her because it, it pulled those emotions up. I mean, like, hey, man, I should probably call my mom and tell her I love her. Couldn't get a word out. Couldn't get a goddamn word out. I was just, it was in the car driving, fucking That's crazy. blubbering. That's crazy. Yeah, man. So anyway, it's ha- it happens to me. From, from you got to like start doing some push-ups or something. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, that is, uh, that's definitely a moving thought. Jordan Peterson, he, he'll, he'll bring the emotion out of you every now and then, man. Um, do, do you think that that loss of connection between religious stories and the real world, like people think of religious stories as nothing like the real world, mm. but we used to think that there was a fundamental connection between mythological stories and the real world. That's what Jordan Peterson's bringing back when he does that. He's like, look, this is the Jesus story. This is the meta story, but it's your story. Yeah. And that is fucking powerful and it's missing. It seems like it's missing now. Yeah. Are religious stories our stories anymore? Mm, I mean, some people, yeah. I think, I mean, I think, I don't know. I think that if you make them your stories, they can be your stories. You think, know? Yeah. But as a society, I think we're definitely moving away from that. And uh, you notice society is getting more and more fucked. Sure is, man. Yeah. It's really, really, really worrisome. I don't know if it's been this bad before, and it's like, this is this Sodom is par for the course, but it's it's worrisome to me, man. I agree. It's a, it's a weird world we're living in. I, I was just thinking on my way over here that I don't think things are going to be the same anymore. You know, like, I think that, um, obviously... You know, when COVID happened, that uh, that alone, like, really, like, changed the way that I think about the progression of the world, you know? Like, mm. um, you look at, like, September 11th, and that was, you know, it affected two cities in the world, basically, you know? Um, you know, like, a, a few thousand people died, um, and the world has never been the same since that. And COVID had a way bigger influence on the entire world. Way bigger, yeah. And so, you know, ever since COVID, I've been thinking, obviously, things things are not going back to normal. Things never go back to normal. Um, but I am starting to think that the changes are going to continue to get more and more extreme. And depending on how things go... It could be very, very, very bad. Mm. Um, and even the best case scenario, it's not going to be the same. It's not going back to normal. What do you think the biggest cha- biggest permanent changes are like in the negative direction? Um, well, short term, uh, I don't know if you're paying attention to like the news and stuff, but like all these supply chain issues mm. and food shortage potential and shit like that short term that could be very bad i mean it's already like sri lanka is in bad shape they're like rioting they're you know like half of the country is in complete anarchy and the other half is in like a totalitarian police state to keep order i didn't know that yeah it's bad over there um and a a lot of smart people are saying that we're like six months to 12 12 six months to a year out for shit like that Mm. Um, so 
you know, short term, I think that that's going to be an issue. Um, you know, the cost of energy, you know, with winter coming up, like what happens if we, you know, our, the energy crisis becomes too much of a burden and like in the middle of the winter, the, the power's going out and people are like freezing to death in their homes. Mm. That's a, that could happen. Like that is not unrealistic at all. Mm. Um, so that I think is short term bad that's going to happen. But I also see the government, not our government. So, I mean, definitely our government, but not just our government worldwide moving towards things like, um, digital currencies, digital, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Cryptos. Yeah, kind of. Um, which is, you know, I, I think a lot of like libertarian minded people hold crypto in high esteem, but on some level, I kind of think that that has just been like the, like the blueprint for the governments, the states to uh, roll out their own, um, digital currencies. Uh, they, there's like an acronym for it, CBDC or something like that. Yeah. Digital based global currency or something mm, like that. Jesus. Um, yes. And so you, you know, like you see what happened with Alex, people like Alex Jones, Owen Benjamin, Nick Fuentes, they start saying things that people don't agree with. And then they're not allowed to use PayPal anymore. They're not allowed to use Airbnb or Uber anymore. Oh, Jesus. And if they control the currency, you, they, you know, you're not allowed to buy shit anymore. You're not allowed to pay your bills anymore because you have bad opinions or you won't get the vaccine. Jesus Christ, man. And that's like, you know, I think that there are a lot of people who are like, oh, you're you're being paranoid. But no, that is like obviously a possibility at this point. Yeah, you know what just came to my mind? I hate to be this guy. I really do. But uh, <laughs> but. I, what comes to mind is the is the book of Revelation, yeah, the mark the mark of the beast, specifically because what that prophecy says is that that mark is going to be required for trade. So you have mm-hmm. you ha- you aren't going to be able to get things without using this mark. That it also makes me think of a credit score, you know, mm-hmm. and six six six, not a bad credit score really. <laughs> and if that, <laughs> if that was if that was tattooed on your on your or, you know digitally displayed on you somehow. Um, God damn, that is so terrifying. Yeah, they're uh, moving away. And they've been calling it this for a while, but uh, it's becoming more popular is ESG huh. scores. Don't get me en- started. Environmental and social governance scores. Yeah. And it's kind of starting with companies. Like, uh, you know, these companies will have uh, these ESG scores depending on how, you know, like these companies, y- you see all the time, you know, Bank of America will have a Flat, uh, float in the rain or the uh, the rainbow parade, the gay pride parade, um, and they, it's like, you know, good for you. Uh, people like support, you know, like think that Bank of America's, you know, moral or something because of that. But it it's pretty easy for them to just be like, yeah, we'll put a float in the parade, and we're not actually doing anything. Um, somehow these ESG scores are going to be like monitoring and making sure that these companies are actually like enforcing, you know gay quotas uh, of employees, things like that. Yeah. Um, and, you know, not polluting, you know, and based on that, based on their behavior, they'll have a higher, lower ESG score. Mm-hmm. And that determines the types of things that you're allowed to do. Well, right now it's supposed to determine how attractive that investment is for, for a progressive, for somebody who cares yeah. about their ESG score. The thing about ESG that's so 
interesting right now is that it's clearly topical. It's clearly something that was invented now because the time is right now. What that means is that there is public interest in um, social change and uh, equity and things that we hear you know every single day. So so people in the business of investments are using that. They've created this ESG as a way of leveraging um, a customer base, right? It's manipulation. That's mm-hmm. the first thing. That pisses me off every time. Secondly, it's disingenuous. There isn't a standard of what ESG means. Yeah. There's not a board. There's not a, uh, you know, a, a single you know, set of rules. So you can kind of say whatever you want. It's the Wild West right now. And um, and and ultimately, what that what that is supposed to do is is allow a company to stand apart somehow from another company on the basis of some sort of social brownie points. Um, it's really, I'm not a fan. Yeah, it's pretty gay. Um, and are you going to make the leap from ESG scores to social credit scores like they have in China? Um, yeah, I mean, I think that that that's kind of where I was going, that they, these things are going to stop being just for companies and they'll be, yeah, they'll be kind of rolled out to individuals as well. Um, so do you think that we'd end up in a uh, situation like, um, it's a fucking movie I always bring up, um, Demolition Man? Uh-huh. Where the the people with the good with the good um, social credit scores live up up above ground, and the people that are isolated from participating in that community because they're because they're naughty, they're just going to form their own underground community. You know, I, I hope that that's what happens. Um, you know, I that obviously was inspired to some degree by Huxley. You know, mm-hmm. the character's name is Lenina Huxley. Sure is. Yeah. Um, and you know that is and and the the heroine from Brave New World is her name was Lenina, oh yeah, yeah or Lenina, Lenina, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. go ahead. Um, I forget what I was gonna say. Oh no, that ju- I was just gonna say that it's the same thing there. You've got the, you know, the big civil, uh, the uh, technologically advanced civilizations that, where everyone is, you know, orgy porgy, um, all the. the crazy shit that they're doing uh and then you've got these like tribal people who live outside of that and that's where i hope to be i mean i think honestly i think that that's i kind of think that that's the best that we can hope for in the future Mm. i I mean that's i guess like dark and depressing but i really i'm getting to the point where i think that that's the best that we can hope for so you know what i what comes to my mind when you say that is uh Atlantis. So hear me out. If there has been times in the past where we had civilization, sections of civilization that were higher than others, way more sophisticated, way more successful, technologically advanced, you could say there was a time in history when that may have happened because we have a story about it. It's called Atlantis. Mm-hmm. And what happened to those people? They, they died. And who survived to carry on? The savages. You know the lower people, right? And and that's that's the that's the picture that comes to my mind. Like imagine this futuristic world where the social credit score people that obey the rules and follow the 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 central controlled overlord world government. Those people living in their in their high rise castles up up above, uh, you know the ground. They die out. 
right? Because central control doesn't work forever because life is too complicated. Somebody's going to make some fatal mistake. The high technology will fail and Atlantis will sink into the ocean. Mm-hmm. And who's left? The people from Brave New World, the people living on reservations, the, the savages living on, you know, down on earth. Yeah. Those are the people that are, that are going to carry on. Um, so it, it, it seems dangerous to me to, well, it's, it's dangerous to me to divide people unnecessarily. And it's definitely, uh, you know, what we're talking about, dividing people down down the middle and in, uh, in the good the good group and the bad group. That's, that's the most dangerous kind. You see how successful division is in politics. You see it. Mm-hmm. You see it all around us right now. Even though people recognize they're being manipulated, it still works. It's insidious, man. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, dark times, man. Speaking of insidious, you got pulled over on the way here. Yeah. Well, tell me about it. What happened? I just so there's a detour um, on one of the like more main roads over here, mm-hmm. and uh, I was going down that road because that's the way I normally come. I came up to the detour, and it, you know, so I started following the detour. It's through a neighborhood. Um, and I, I guess I rolled through a stop sign, okay. you know, I just didn't come to a complete stop. Yeah. So I got pulled over and, um, the cop just, he basically let me off with a warning. I also, um, my tags and my license are both expired. No. Yeah. Oh God. So he, he, he was all right. He was fine enough about it anyways. Um, he didn't give me a ticket for the stop sign and he gave me like a corrections thing, uh, so I have to get my tags and my license renewed, or otherwise within five days. Otherwise, I will get a ticket. Oh shit! Which is, I mean, it's still gay, but um, you know, whatever. Could have been worse. How He's, long? How long was the stop, start to finish? Um, twenty, fifteen minutes. Okay, fifteen. Fifteen's like not that. bad. Yeah. Yeah. Well, like you, you know, that's a pretty good interaction with a cop, all things considered. Yeah, you know, it's it is what it is. I fu- I still fucking hate them. Um, <laughs> yeah. you know, he could have he could have been worse for sure, but he still wasted a bunch of my time. Um, you know, not a bunch, but he wasted my time. Um, I didn't hurt anybody. I didn't even come close to hurting anybody. It had literally no effect on anybody. Me, it, it's not like I blew through the stop sign either. I I pretty much stopped. I know that I did because mm-hmm. I always do. I don't ever really blow through stop signs. Um, so, I mean, he didn't do anything to help anyone. Um, all he did was waste my time and ensure that I go pay money to to the government, you know? Yeah, I know what you mean, man. Um, so, you know, it could have been worse. I guess I could have gotten shot, but... I wonder if the uh, attitude towards the police, like, you know, a couple of years ago... Like the last time I remember you getting pulled over, your attitude was way different. You were like, <laughs> you know, uh, yeah. way more, you were way more enthusiastic about hating the police and the system. Oh, and the- I'm still very enthusiastic about. I <laughs> fucking hate cops, um, especially after like what just happened in Texas. Mm. Fuck cops, man! Every single one of them. Uh, we've talked about this on the show before, and like this is a thing that I talk about that. A lot of I guess more traditional conservatives do not agree with me on, but I hate cops. Uh, I think that they're completely fucking worthless. They don't do anything to help people. They show up after the crime is committed, ask a few questions, and then 99% of the time, nothing fucking happens. Yeah. Um, I hate them. I uh, I don't think that they're all like monster, serial killer, um, terrible, terrible people at their core. I think that outside of work, they're probably nice guys, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. But... Um, 
I think that that you could say the same about like a mob hitman too. Like the, these guys who you know they find out they've been living next to a mob hitman for twenty years, and they're like, he's been great. You know, like he's he comes over for barbecues. He's a nice fucking guy. He brings beers, um, and he's killing people for a living. You know, um, and I don't think that. I mean, some cops kill people for a living, but um, you know, I'm not necessarily saying that they're all like murderers or anything. But when you punch in. And your job is to harass people. You're a prick. Uh, there's no other way of getting around it for me. And I don't. I, I have not heard a good argument yet as to why cops are the good guys. Uh, I don't have a problem with the idea of policing. What I have a problem with is the idea that these cops are hired thugs for the elites who, you know, rule over us, and they're they're being paid with our money. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's they're extorting more money out of us. Uh, and being paid to do that extortion with money that's being extorted from us. Yeah, that's true. And when you put it that way, um, so what do you think the proper role is for a police? Like, if we could, if we could uh, start from scratch, what what do you think the proper role is for police? What should they be doing? Um, I think that there are companies like uh, I think there's a company called Detroit Threat Management, and you know mm -hmm. Detroit. Things are getting like squirrely in Detroit. Oh yeah, I think they actually maybe have started to improve a little bit, but that was before COVID, so it's probably right back where it was. But um, yeah, I think the company is called Detroit Threat Management, and they are like a private security company. And I think that it would be something like that. I think that ideally you would have people policing communities who are from those communities um, and who know the people. Like uh, like you get a. Um, a crazy guy walking on the street and a guy, a cop who doesn't know him is like on guard, you know, like, um, like ready to kill this guy if he moves the wrong way. Mm. And to some degree, I kind of understand that. Um, but if you have a guy who knows that crazy guy and is like, Oh, this is fucking crazy. Carl, you know, he's, he's harmless for the most part. You know, I might, you know, I might have to like wrestle him to the ground or something, but it's going to be fine. You know? Um, I think that that's ideal. Um, yeah, I, I, I mean... So I'm, I'm just thinking, like, like a detective, for instance, somebody who's going to investigate a crime and bring charges against somebody. Like, I think that's can be more or less no, a noble thing. Um, now, what cases they choose to prosecute and all that sort of stuff, it's a whole different story. But having people whose job it is somebody who's reported a crime to investigate it and and bring try to bring justice that seems like a good sure. like, like a good thing yeah. uh, under the right circumstances um, but preventing a crime like what role should police have if any in preventing a crime and i'm like thinking in my head well we could have like you said private security every community could be a gated community and you have to pull up to get in you you, you know there's cameras and you got to you got to talk to a security guard and all this sort of stuff but is that a world we want to live in? Is it like a nanny? Like we're creating a little private nanny state for ourselves, and every everything's like locked up. Like when I went to Jamaica, all the shopping centers have like security gates, and the, you you have to have the door open for you so that you can drive in. Otherwise, they want to keep the wrong people out. Yeah, and like I just wonder, I wonder what kind of slippery slope that is. I don't think that that's necessary in the vast like majority of America. If you have like really wealthy people next to or I don't even know if wealth but 
But we'll just stick with it. Uh, if you have like really wealthy people and they live in close proximity to, you know, more, you know, I don't, I don't know, low income individuals, people who are prone to committing more crime mm -hmm. and like do commit more crime. So imagine Chicago, you know, like you've got extremely wealthy people who live in Chicago and mm -hmm. you've also got like one of the most high crime areas in the world. Um, in that kind of a scenario, I think it maybe makes sense for those people to want to have a gated community. Um, uh, but for the most part, I think that the best thing to do is have people be armed and know how to use their arms. And I think yeah. that alone deters. You know what? You might have just hit the nail on the head there. Why, why do we need a police force or even a security force to provide protection against potential crime if we're our own security guards? I, I think that's where it starts. That is the primary uh, thing and I don't even think that um, I don't even think that like what am I trying to say I think that that alone criminals knowing that the likelihood of these people being armed is through the roof I think that prevents crime that stops crime from happening in the first place um, and I also think that if that's the case you know you've got these cops who are busy doing things like pulling me over for no fucking reason. Uh, and that, mm. so, you know, they're all tied up doing that shit. If you have them sitting around waiting for an actual emergency, they can get there quickly. And that's one of the selling points of that Detroit threat management mm. company. He's like, if people call us, we're there immediately. Mm. We're there. Yeah. It, you don't have to wait. We're there, like, before the crime is done being committed most that's of the time. That's an excellent point, man. That's a, that's a question of resource allocation. You know, and a, and a private company has an incentive to be efficient and a government one has an incentive to be inefficient. Mm -hmm. The bigger they can grow, the more cops they can hire, the more, you know, they want to keep continue to grow and grow and grow. Um, and so you're going to have a lot more resources, but you're going to deploy those resources doing shit that nobody really wants. Yeah. And that's a really interesting point. You know, nobody, nobody cares that... Uh, nobody, nobody likes seeing highway patrolmen sitting there on the on the freeway when you're driving by them. Um, how often do you do you see somebody driving like a dangerously ever get pulled over? I never ever 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 see it. You know, I've been pulled over plenty of times, mm -hmm. mostly for almost nothing. You yeah. know, um, so I think that's a really good point. It's the the allocation of resources, and you'd think there would be more oversight. If it's the government, because there's a lot more people, right? But there's, but there's not. Yeah, you know, it's really, really strange, man. Yeah, it's amazing how, like you said, you would think most of the time that stuff where you say you would think it doesn't happen like you think it does. You know, um, yeah, I, I, like I said, I don't have a problem with the idea of policing. I have a complete problem with the way that policing is done currently, uh, and I think one other area where it needs to start is. The amount of things that are illegal, the amount of things that a cop can fuck with you, hundred percent. Yeah. Cut that shit out, and then, like I said, then that the you have more resources to allocate to actual problems. Mm. Um, so it starts there. But my problem with the actual police officers, because I do have one, it's not like um, it's not like oh, I think that. I have a problem with the idea of policing, not necessarily police officers. No, I have a problem with police officers. I think that uh, if you sign on the dotted line and take that job, you have done something immoral. 
And, you know, people lionize these people like they're heroes. Mm -hmm. And I guess every fucking now and then they're a hero. But other times they're the Uvalde cops where they're preventing parents from going in and saving their fucking children. Unbelievable. Um, Yeah, no, I don't. I have. But don't you think that somebody who signs up for the military or somebody that signs up for the police force, they have... A, an idea in their head that they're going to do good and that they're going to, you know what I mean? I don't think that matters. Yeah. No, I mean, yeah, I think that they have this idea that they're going to do good. Once it becomes apparent to you that that's not the case, you should fucking quit. Otherwise, you're an immoral asshole. Listen, I think people should start asking questions. Uh, based on this conversation alone, people should start asking questions about the poli- the allocation of resources in the police force. For sure. Citizens, voters should start asking lots of questions. Why... Every t- you know, why are there t- so many, um, t- you know, cops patrolling traffic? Shouldn't they be stopping crime? Shouldn't they be somewhere preventing robbery, mm-hmm. you know, or responding to robbery? Why are you sitting there? You know, you, you got one highway patrolman parked this way, another one parked the other way. They're having a chat. They're eating their beef jerky. Every now and then they pull out their, their radar gun and they shine it at an innocent person um, just trying to get to work. They're, they're 10 minutes late for work. Yeah. You know, do something else, man. And it's not – I don't blame the, the policeman for that. It's, that's their job. It's like your assignment today is to sit on, on I whatever. I do. I, I have some level of blame for the policeman on Maybe that. the policeman should be uh, pushing back a little on that as well. Like, why are you asking me to do this? Go you get know? a job. with a, go, uh, go be a security guard. I bet you you can get a better – paying job being a fucking security yeah. guard under the right circumstances you can um yeah no i don't i i have zero respect for police officers like uh, uh as police officers mm. maybe because, they're nice people again like i said uh, maybe i i could find myself having some kind of respect for them in some other way yeah but them being a police officer is always going to taint that yeah one uh, there's just no way of getting around because it you, because you're saying it's a it's a moral question when when you when you're asking should I be a policeman as my job that there's a moral question there which says if you say yes it, it implies this type of behavior and that type of behavior is immoral so yeah. if you sign on the dotted line you know you're going to go do some shit that you know is immoral okay you know I respect that I suppose um and I feel that I you brought up the military I pretty much feel the exact same way about the military at this point um and I I think that Conservative people are maybe starting to come around towards that way of thinking, to be honest with you, because you looked at uh, the riots and stuff like that. The cops were protecting the fucking rioters. I just saw this video. I think you retweeted it. Thaddeus Russell had a thing. Mm -hmm. It was these people blocking the fucking freeway. And this guy is like, he's a parolee. He's like, please, I have to go to work. Otherwise, I'm going to go back to prison. You're yeah. you're preventing me from going to work. That's a great one. Where where are the cops on that? They're protecting the people sitting on the fucking ground. They're telling pe- they're telling the well, drivers. T- t- tell the story so people know. I did. Well, they're, they're protesters blocking the freeway. Yeah, okay, environmental. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're environmental protesters blocking the freeway. This guy who's on parole is going to go back to prison if he can't go. And apparently, he did. I, I read something oh, that he. No. I mean, maybe he'll get off. Uh, but yeah, he got he got hit for that. Um, so he was pleading with the yeah, protesters like, and the cops were saying, you can't touch them, dude. These people are fucking lucky that I'm not in charge because I would say run them over and yeah. I'm not, I'm not like, I'm not pulling back on that at all. Run those people the fuck over. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if, 
if blocking traffic is not a violation of the non-aggression principle, then the non-aggression principle needs to be removed from your philosophy. Mm. Yeah. I, and I, I honestly feel no remorse about saying that, that, the, the, that you can potentially kill those people. And if protesters put themselves in harm's way to do it, you know, go, go walking physically onto a freeway. I don't, listen, I don't know if you've ever been on a freeway, yeah. but there are signs periodically that say no, no. pedestrians. Yeah. If you walk onto a, a road where people are going 70 miles an hour, um, you're contributing to whatever happens to you. Yeah. you. You're partly to blame. You know, maybe you're all uh, all to blame. There's got to be a better way of protesting than that. So, yeah, I, like I said, I think that conservative people are seeing things like the riots, th- seeing things like that blocking the traffic and the people protecting these fucking protesters and seeing things like Uvalde with the cops arresting parents trying to save their children. Mm. Um, these police officers and these, uh, you know, police departments in the cities supporting them are not doing any favors for themselves. They're turning the, the tide in people's opinions mm. on them. Um, and I think that... The military, the same types of things are happening. I mean, you look at the pointless military actions we're taking in the world, and we're sending these people who did sign up out of some kind of um, duty, some kind of yeah. like respectable feeling yeah. of duty, yeah. um, and you're ruining them, sending them back. I mean, for years, the rate of suicide in in veterans has been through the roof, but since the last two years, it's insane. Mm. I, I forget what exactly the stat was, but I heard that it's like through the fucking roof, even compared to what it was. Yeah. Yeah. It's a meaning crisis. Mm-hmm. You know, you have to have some meaning to justify behavior. And the worse the behavior is, the, the, the more sophisticated and powerful the meaning has to be to justify it. Mm-hmm. And these people are, they don't have it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. You get these people who, they go over there and they're killing, killing people, you know, some of them sure bad people. Some of them are not though. Some of them are just in the wrong place at the wrong time. Mm, yep. Uh, and you have these people who are killing them and they have this conflict of conscience. Like you, what are you having me do this for? You know? Um, and then they come back, at, you know, they get done with their service and they're shipped back over here and they have nothing. You know, the worst, the worst part about that in the military is if you're a, private first class and you say to your superior why are we doing this oh yeah you're, that's the worst thing you could yeah. ever say you know you're gonna i don't know what the punishment is anymore but uh you know it could be court-martialed you know you know what it was back in the day in the brig with you or no sh- they would kill you jesus yeah i mean so i'm talking about like not even that far back i remember dan carlin talking about they did that kind of thing in world war one or two mm. Like, people would uh, desert the front line, and they would fucking kill them. Yeah, I think that's still... I, I think that's still... I don't know if, the, like, orders are to shoot to kill in that situation. Maybe in wartime they are. But that's still something that you can be, um, you know, desert desertion. It's yeah. like the, one of the worst crimes in the military, yeah. you know? I think that on some level, if you are fighting, you know, like an existential war, like, it's a real thing, you know? I can understand you have to motivate people to not run. Uh, on some level, I understand that, but when it's what it has been since World War, since the World Wars, then I mean, it's pretty, it's pretty fucked up. It's fucked up. But so yeah, I mean, I also think that 
if you are a parent and your children are like, I'm going to join the military, you should probably try to talk them out of it at this point. I mean, um, yeah, I, and, uh, you know, we were talking about conserv- the, the tide changing in the opinion of conservative people. Uh, Matt Walsh, I don't know if you know him. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he said, the, I was listening to his show the other day. He straight up said, no, I don't want my, my kids to join the military at this point. Yeah. So that's good. I, yeah, I don't either. No, fuck that, man. And when I when I was in high school, um, when nine eleven happened, I was gung ho about it. Yeah, you know. But today I am not. Yeah, man. It's a. Uh, it's not worth the GI Bill. You know why else are you going? You're not. Um, you're not fighting bad guys. No, you're not fighting bad guys. Uh, a lot of the time, you're fighting with the bad guys and protecting the bad guys. I mean, you look at what happened in Afghanistan. We ran and the Taliban. Sure, they're not they're not nice people, you know. I'm not like saying that I want to be neighbors with the Taliban people, um, but you know they were keeping some semblance of order. And the people that when we ran them off, the people that we were supporting, they were fucking kids. And if a marine heard a, a young boy being raped and attacked the person raping that little boy, he would get in trouble for that. Mm. And that's not like, that's like a real thing that happened. Unbelievable. Um, and you know what happened? What? A lot of those raped boys ran away and joined the Taliban. Jesus. And then when we pulled out of Afghanistan, the Taliban came back in and guess what stopped happening? Rape. The raping of those little boys. Unbelievable. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, this like black and white, good versus bad, it's also just blatantly fucking retarded. Um that yeah no don't don't let your children join the military it's a terrible terrible idea at this point yep. especially if you got daughters because they're gonna put daughters on the front line soon man mm. like the, you know just this uh like feminist culture women can do everything that men can do um you know i don't think that the wars are a good idea but if we are gonna fight wars i don't want women to be on the front lines unless we need them to be i guess yeah <laughs> i mean yeah, I mean, the only way that I think women should be on the front lines is if defeat is imminent and, like, if you get captured, it's going to be worse for you than if you die. Well, women are important, man. Like Joe Rogan always says, women make all the people. So we can't, we can't sacrifice too many of them, you know? Yeah. Um, did you see that the Georgia Guidestones got blown yeah, up? Yeah, yeah, I did. <laughs> so we talked about the Georgia Guidestones before on the podcast, but... Um, for those that don't remember, there's a monument that was put up in the 80s in the middle of nowhere in Georgia. And there's all kinds of mystery surrounding it because who paid for it is not known. It's all that, I, I, the identity of all that stuff is buried in shell companies and shell companies. And it's like this mysterious thing that wasn't advertised. It just popped up one day in the middle of nowhere. And um, when, people, when people realized it, they, you know, investigated and found out that you've got this giant, like, Stonehenge-looking monument that was, again, brand new, made of granite. It's, it's going to last forever, and carved no, in. It's not. <laughs> and carved into the uh, mega, megalith is like ten guidelines, like, like ten commandments, yeah. and they're written in all these different languages, mm-hmm. and they're like new world ordery stuff. Yeah, for sure. Like keeping the population under 500 million. Which is? In perpetual balance with nature. That's what it says. 500 million. Like, that's, I mean, we have so many more people that than that on the world right now. Like, 
So, so one thing people say is that that's like a guideline for the future. Like mm-hmm. if we have some kind of apocalypse that, you know, like do this and you'll be good. Yeah. Um, I, I, I'm skeptical of that. I think that these people, whoever they are, who put this stuff up and people who advocate currently for things like that, like Bill Gates, uh, a lot of these elitist type people who are all about population control, Hmm. all about depopulating the planet. I just don't understand how you can, you can be on a planet with billions of people and be talking about depopulation. What do you mean by that? What is the logical conclusion that people are to draw from you saying that we need to depopulate the planet? I believe, um, I believe uh, Demolition Man gave us the answer. Murder, death, kill. Yeah, exactly. Murder, death, kill. Uh, I mean, uh, yeah, so I, I was, you know, I, I was happy to see the Georgia Guidestones get taken down personally. So I, I I don't have a big opinion one way or the other about it. I think it's kind of interesting. I like mysteries, so it's like I like I want it to exist just because I want the mystery to exist. I love it. But at the same time, like, there's stuff in there about establishing a world court and stuff. It's mm-hmm. very, very New World Order, progressive stuff. So I'm not saying I agree with it, although not all of the commandments are bad. Yeah, yeah. Uh, one of them says not to make frivolous laws. Mm-hmm. I, I, like, I like that. Sure. Um, but the thing That's is— That's how they get you, though, you know? Yeah. Like, they say some stuff that makes sense with some crazy shit mixed in there, you yeah. know? Like Scientology. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> So anyway, the I did hear that there's a politician in Georgia running that's that was behind in the polls and changed their platform or whatever added to, to their platform that they were going to tear down the Georgia Guidestones because they were built by devil worshippers. Yeah. And the truth is, nobody knows who built them or why, so it's all speculation. But that happens, and then somebody dynamites it mm-hmm. at four o'clock in the morning. Yep. You think it was that guy? I don't know, man. <laughs> yeah. It could have been. Or it, could, or it could have been somebody that, su- that supported the supported the candidate, um, you know, because it was public. I don't know, man. Maybe. I mean, I think that as far as the community of people who, you know, think like I do on some level, um, the Georgia Guidestones have been, you know, people are well aware of them. They're well aware of the creepy shit that was on there. Mm-hmm. Way before this candidate started talking about it, people right. were dead set against the Georgia Guidestones. Um, I don't think that I, if I lived close to them and had the, the, uh, the means, I don't think that I would have necessarily destroyed it. But I also think that there are lots of people who would have felt motivated to do so. Even oh, without, for sure. Even without this candidate. And I was thinking that the, cause the, when they blew it up, they only blew, managed one. to blow up one of yeah. the, of the pillars. I think um, leaving it blown up, yeah. Is cool. Yeah, yeah. I, I think leaving the rubble even is cool. Don't you know clean, they don't clean it up. It down. They did. Yeah, they teared it down. Damn it, down. man! They should have. Yeah. That would have made it more mysterious. Like in the in the distant future, yeah, yeah. you like reading the, the the rules and you see it's partly destroyed. Why would they do that? And who did it? Who tore it down? That's a good question. The government. I, I think it had to have been because whatever the. You know, there was a, apparently there was a person who went to this granite company and like set it all up. Yeah. Um, and one hundred percent, it was a fake name. Fake name. You know? Yeah. Um, and then he like disappeared into the ether. Right. Um, but whoever he was, after a certain amount of years, he like ceded ownership over it, of it to the government. So it had to have been the government. Oh, gotcha. Uh, so 
that it had to have been the government, but it's gone now. Uh, I was going to say something else. I can't remember what it was. I don't know. I lost it. I'm not happy about that. I'm not happy about it being torn down. Oh, so I, I don't know. I think that like this being in the news, you know, like someone destroyed it. And mm-hmm. I think a lot of people don't even know what the fuck the Georgia Guidestones are, you know? So you get this call of attention to it and people are like, what the fuck are the Georgia Guidestones? And they start reading the shit that's on there and you know, seeing everything that's going on in the world today. Mm. Uh, and the people are like, no, we got to get rid of these. We got to get rid of these. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, you know, a guy that you recently had interaction with on Twitter, Pete Quinones. Yeah. Um, he was like, I don't understand why people are like cheering this thing being gone. Um, you know, like you're going to get rid of all of the evidence of your oppression. Um, yeah. And I mean, I think that that's a good enough point to some degree. But at the same time, like, I, I don't know. I'm just like not concerned with it. Like, it, fuck that thing. Um, See, I, I, I relate that the destruction of the Georgia, Georgia Guidestones to the demolition of Confederate monuments, or or even the, the now now they're demo, you know demoing you know monuments that aren't uh, related to slavery, American monuments. Um, I think that history is important. And we should we should all be able to decide about that. We should it shouldn't be taken from us. We should be able to to see the history, to make up our minds about it, and to change our minds about it. Sure. And if somebody comes and bulldozes it down, they take that away from me. I don't like that. Yeah, I I definitely I sympathize with that. Um, I think that there's you know there's a good point in that, but I also think that um, there's a difference between something like a Confederate statue that is literally history, mm-hmm. you know, that is, it's not affecting anyone anymore. It's done. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the Georgia Guidestones where taking it out is like, uh, you know, m- granted, maybe not like a big blow, um, but like a fuck you to the people who are, you know, instituting these things that are causing food shortages. And I, I mean, Again, we're going. I'm going down conspiracy lane here, but um, I think that there is a good chance that a lot of this stuff is being done on purpose to push us towards this kind of global governance that the Georgia Guidestones are advocating for. Yeah. Um, and I don't even really think it's that controversial. Like, I think that these people. You can read white papers from non-governmental organizations and governmental organizations in some cases where they're talking about wanting to do this shit. So I just don't really think it's that controversial. But Yeah, I mean, I think that anything that gives the government more power or control over the people is probably bad, at least suspicious. Yeah. And something like a digital currency gives gives the government way more control because they can see what you're spending money on. They can potentially stop you from spending money on something. Um, it's way easier to give bribes and to just electronically put money in your bank account. It's really, really bad to centralize that and and give that authority to the federal government. Very, very fucking bad. Yeah. Um, the same thing's true with this social... De- debate the social conflict that we're we're having now to do with well anything right now it has to do with identity yeah um, letting some centralized authority whether that be the government the media or the media controlled by the government whatever it is that's bad 
We don't want the government to control our identities. We don't want the government to control the words we use. We don't want the government to control what we spend money on or how we make money. We, we shouldn't. And the more we see movement for the government to take over more and more control and to get more and more information about you, you have to understand they're not getting that information for any other reason other than to use it against you. Mm-hmm. You know? It's a bargaining chip. It's blackmail. It's, you know, wh- whatever it is. It's not good. And we, people, should, should be le- people shouldn't trust as much as they do, especially if the person, entity that they're being, that they're being asked to trust isn't a person. Yeah. I'm very, very skeptical of organizations and governments and nonprofits and boards and groups of all kinds because they're not people. They're not accountable. They don't have responsibility. They don't yeah. have a face. They don't have a smile. They don't have a name. They don't have a reputation. They're a ghost. I'm, I, I don't like that. Yep. I'm with you. You see the shit that's going on in the Netherlands right now? <sighs> all I saw was a bunch of farm, farm equipment uh, coming up to block the airport. I don't know what that's about. Tell me. The government is telling these farmers that they're going to start implementing, you know, regulations and taking measures to reduce emissions of ammonia and nitrogen oxide. Mm. And one of the biggest... um, Fertilizers? Nitrogen? It's cattle. It's their their Mm. urine and their feces. Oh, gotcha. So they're telling these... This country where... You know, the Netherlands is a huge uh, producer of... They produce something like 7% of the world dairy. Wow. So they're telling these people who make their living from that that you're going to have to cut your herd. You're going to have to call your herd by 50%, a lot of you, and some of you just aren't going to make it. You're not going to be able to do what you do anymore. And, uh, yeah, they're they're making a big... You know, they're they're... Causing a ruckus over there about it, and God bless them. Can you imagine the government making a rule uh, or or imposing a new regulation to accomplish something like uh, cli- like a climate change, you know, brownie point? And the consequence of that is not only that some people lose their jobs, but also that people can't produce as much food. In in the context of what we just talked about, how. Well, first of all, Ukraine. Ukraine is the breadbasket of Europe. Is it going to be producing uh, grains at the level? Probably fucking not. We're going to do the same thing in the Netherlands. And while we're worried about food shortages? And while you've got, you know, global elites talking about depopulation, wanting to get rid of a significant portion of the people on the planet. And then, you know, to take, take us, you know, a little bit further down conspiracy road, you've got them, you know people still pushing for these fucking vaccines and you've got the people dropping fucking dead for no reason and guess what almost all of them have in common they got vaccinated they got vaxxed (laughs) uh you know i don't know man i don't know and you know also one way to control population is to straight up start killing people um and another way to control population is uh, to keep them from having kids. Mm-hmm. And there's been a lot of uh, talk about vaccines being terrible for people's fertility. I've heard that, yeah. Um, so can you imagine? Listen, I remember the story about uh, stories about young women who got vaccinated who went into menopause. Mm-hmm. So you can see that, that whatever's happening you know, in their bodies uh, is exactly that, sterilization. Mm-hmm. And can you imagine if we discovered that 
the COVID nineteen vaccine program worldwide was something like a vac- like a like a like a like sterilization. A sterilization program. Yeah. And you might think that's absolutely terrible. And how could you even imagine anybody could do that? But we did <laughs> it. A fucking break. But we did it before. Yeah. Do you guys know who? Mar- Mar- what is it? Martha Sanger. Margaret. Margaret Sanger. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That whole that whole thing. The whole pla- the whole origin of Planned Parenthood was. Was it began by sterilizing homosexuals, by sterilizing uh, people with retardation of various mm-hmm. kinds, and sp- Mar- Martha, Mar- whatever her name Margaret. was, Sanger, <laughs> yeah. specifically, if I'm not mistaken, had the goal of reducing minority children. Yeah, she thought that it would be healthier for the for the welfare of the people to reduce. It was. It was a eugenics program. It was just like Hitler's. In fact, Hitler's was modeled on it. Yeah. Can you imagine if the COVID nineteen vaccine is a covert sterilization program designed to get the population under control? It would not surprise me at all. I, I would not. I guess I was going to say that I wouldn't be shocked, and maybe I would be a little shocked. But I think probably for just different reasons, like the run of the mill person, like, uh, like I think. The run of the mill person is going to be like, I can't believe that they would do this. It's like, I, I don't know. I can believe that they would do it, but it's still like shocking. Like, what the fuck? You know, I mean, I can play devil's advocate in a weird way and say, put myself in the position of of one of the elites. And mm-hmm. I can and I can say to myself, I, I made a lot of money. I was very successful, so I must know better than you. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm going to go ahead and, and, and figure out how to solve our problems. One of our problems is. Our, our environment is at risk, right? That's one of our problems. A solution to that problem might be to have less people polluting, right? We also might have trouble feeding the population. So one solution might be to have a lot less people. It's going to solve our environmental problem. It's going to solve the food shortage problem. Um, you know, I don't know. It might solve lots of problems. Might I, might I not use my power and influence to try to make something like that happen. I mean, it's very scary, but it's not entirely impossible. No, it's. I think it's likely, to be perfectly <laughs> honest with you. It's very scary, man. Yeah, uh, and you know, what makes it not shocking to me is that you can look at the history of these people who have been pushing for, you know, these progressives who have been pushing for, you know, more global government um, things like that for a long time. And like to a man, they all are eugenicists and population control advocates. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, you know, uh, we just talked about Aldous Huxley earlier. You know, people read Brave New World and I think, th- and I, I mean, I too wrestle with this because that book seems like a clear injunction against that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. But from what I understand, Aldous Huxley was kind of like more open to those ideas than that book would lead you to believe. His brother, Julian Huxley, was like an officer of, I don't know if, I think it was the United Nations. Mm. And he like blatantly advocated for that stuff. He was explicitly a eugenics advocate and, you know, pushing for population control. What do you think... What uh, what do you think the benefits would be to a world government as opposed to a system of countries? I don't know that there are any of them. I mean, I think that you have things that you can dress up as a benefit, but I think that 
I just don't. I, I struggle to see any real like, benefit. Like it seems to me like there are problems happening in parts of the world that the rest of the world turns a blind eye to. Mm. You know, like Africa comes to mind. There's like re- real problems, and you might say that if the world was being governed as one entity, that we we could solve problems like that that we otherwise avoid. That comes to mind. But the next thing that comes to mind right on the tail of that is clean your room. Yeah. Jordan Peterson, clean your room. Why do you think you can run the world when your country is a piece of shit? Yeah. Why don't you clean your room first and then we can come back to the new world order? Yeah. You know, and that to me, it's like case closed. Yeah. There is not a single government in the world that does it good enough that I was that I would hand over the reins to sure. every other country to. Yeah, it's like, why aren't you doing it now? Like, what is stopping you, you know? um, And so that's, you know, uh, we make a big deal, like progressive idiots here make a big deal about things like plastic straws. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, we got these fucking ridiculous paper straws in our drinks. Um, But plastic straws are like like a percentage of 1% of the plastic uh, pollution in the ocean. Most of it comes from Asia and Africa where they throw their fucking trash into the river so that it takes it away from where they live. Yeah. You know, they use the trash or they use the river as a conveyor belt for their trash. Yeah. Um, So, I mean, we know that's the problem now. What is stopping these billionaires from fixing that problem without like capturing the rest of us it's a great question we're already doing it well we already have nato we already have the un we already have you know all kinds of charities that do work all over the world greenpeace and you know i don't know the the ones that build houses we got all that shit we got all that shit so why you know why do we need a one world government to do it we're already doing it we, I mean, we already can't do it. Why do you think a one-world government's going to improve that? Yeah. and Let's add bureaucracy to it. That'll improve it. To the degree that we are having any success in mitigating these things, it's nationally. It's like on a local basis. It has mm-hmm. nothing... Like, the fact that in the West, we don't do that. We don't throw our fucking trash into the river. Uh, that is not based on somebody from China telling us that, hey, you need to stop throwing your trash into the river. We did that. We just fucking did it. Yeah. Um, well, an argument could be made about that, that government regulation was required to keep keep companies from dumping shit into the I, river. I mean, that's fine. Uh, I think, um, you know, there are, I think that maybe there's even some truth to that. You know, like I, uh, I am not the ardent libertarian that I was even when we started this podcast. I, I'm not either. And it has more to do with the libertarians now than yeah. it does with the philosophy. And, you know, I honestly kind of thought, so when we started this, I was a hardcore libertarian, an ANCAP, um, and I kind of put the problem off on the libertarians who were like, no, you you can't be a libertarian if you're a racist. And those people are fucking gay. Don't get me wrong. Um, but I also have a problem anymore with um, the libertarians who it's just all theory all the time and you know if you vote you're you're contributing to the problem mm. and this is something we talked about last week on the podcast I was like make Ron DeSantis the king of Florida 
you'll have people who are like, voting doesn't do anything, voting doesn't matter. Well, for the last two fucking years, voting seemed to have mattered in Florida, where people lived a much freer life than the rest of the country. Yep. Voting seemed to make a pretty fucking big difference in Florida. Sure did, yeah. Um, so, I, I mean, I, and I definitely see the problem with voting because... Like the last presidential election, I'm not 100% sure that that was legitimate, you know? Right. So uh, I, I definitely, you know, I don't think that you should put all your eggs in the basket of voting. But like I said, it's a pretty clear-cut case that um, it made somewhat of a difference in Florida voting. That it's yeah. not a completely pointless thing. And I think that the smaller of the level that you do the voting... A, the, the harder it's going to be to manipulate that without it being obvious, mm -hmm. and the more power it's going to have, you know, the more effect it's going to have. Like, we were just talking about cops. If you're the mayor of the city you live in, you can tell the cops, you're the boss. You get to decide, no, we're not really, you know, I know it's a law, but we're just not really going to prosecute people. If somebody runs through a stop sign and they did, you know, just, it's fine, you know. Um, you're the boss. You get to call those shots. The smaller it is, get on school boards. You know, these people who are like, these fucking creeps who are like talking about sexuality to children, get on a school board and remove sexual education from the curri curriculum completely. Don't have these teachers, to, you know, and this ties back into what we were talking about with the red panda spirit. Mm -hmm. You start teaching your kids about that shit. Take the responsibility, do the hard thing that we always talk about, yeah. teach your children, guide your children. Don't have some fucking creep with purple hair doing it. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, get on the school board, remove sexual education from the curriculum curriculum completely. It's creepy to, t you know, we concentrate on LGBT, trans shit, uh, these teachers talking about that kind of shit. I don't want a straight person Telling my kid about blowjobs. Fuck no. You're fucking creepy, and if I find out you do that, I'll put a bullet in the back of your head, yeah. you fucking... No, yeah. I 100% agree with you. Yeah, I mean, get rid of that shit completely. That is worse than indoctrination. It's it's m closer to grooming, it's grooming than it is indoctrination. Yeah. Putting... I put, You know what? Uh, so this is a good time to bring this up. Um, I tweeted something the other day, and I got uh, some feedback to it that surprised me a little bit so i want to i want to show you i'll read to you what i um what i posted so this is literally a photograph from a book i was reading i actually um inadvertently said that it was carl young it's not carl young it's eric neumann his student but okay. but this is this is what it says it says Oh, I saw this. Yeah. Uh, you're, yeah, okay. yeah. It says, In the same way, with a pair of opposites, male and female, man's original hermaphroditic disposition is still largely conserved in the child. Without the disturbing influence from outside, which foster the visible manifestations of sexual differences at an early date, children would just be children. And actively masculine features are in fact as common and effective in girls as are passive feminine ones in boys. It is only cultural influences whose differentiating tendencies govern the child's early upbringing that, le that lead to an identification of the ego with the monosexual tendencies of the personality and to suppression or repression of one's congenital contrasexuality. It's a very, very complicated psychological phrase paragraph that's, to me, saying two things. 
children don't have any inherent um, sexual or or gender-based characteristics. If you leave children alone, children are just children. Boys and girls, very difficult to tell apart, especially the younger they are. The younger they are, the more the same they are. He calls that monosexual. You know, they're just one one sex. They're children. Child. Children yeah. are children, and he says that that culture um, imposes gender specific things on them, and without them, kids would just be kids. Then he also says that masculinity and femininity exist in human beings, yep. both of them in every human being, without question. So I thought that was pretty interesting. You're crying about Disney movies, so obviously <laughs> it exists. You know, and so I post this and I say. Something to consider for the postmodernists and trans activists. Mm-hmm. So I asked the question because if I was a trans activist and I heard uh, a, a, such an important psychological thinker as Carl Jung or his student say something like that, that every human being is both masculine and feminine, and that culture imposes these gender-specific characteristics and qualities on them, they're not natural. And trans, trans people... Our trans activists are going to say that, um, that that it should be fluid and that you should have the ability to change um, to be more masculine or feminine as, as you see fit. What Carl Jung is saying is you, you've got them both already. It is, yeah. So what are you doing exactly? It's yeah. a question. What are you doing exactly? Well, I think that what they're doing <clears throat> is... So th- that fluidity that they're pushing for exists already. They are, in some ways, trying to get rid of it, you know? Yeah. Uh, but in other ways, they're also trying to, like, extend it further in life, mm-hmm. you know? It's like uh, these children who are, you know, what it was, mono what? Mono, Se- monosexual. Monosexual. Yeah. Um, you know, n- as as time goes on, naturally, they're going to stop being that. They're going right. to become men or mm-hmm. become women. Right. Uh, but these people are like pushing this idea that no, you you can later in life, you know, like you can if you naturally are starting to become a man, you can choose to not be that. Um, and I, honestly, I think that. See, I don't even know what they mean by that. Yeah, I don't either. I because mean, because being because it's not about having a penis. Because you can be trans and have a penis or, or, or remove it. It's up to you. Yeah. It has nothing... Being a man has nothing to do with your with your sexual organs anymore in, this, in their philosophy. So to say you don't want to be a man, to me, has no meaning. It has zero meaning. Why am I taking hormones? Why am I removing, you know, parts of my body? If, if a man is not defined that way, yeah. why? Yeah, I don't know, man. Um, can't you just be whatever you want? So I think that, you know, with all of the stuff that we've talked about in this conversation, these agendas that it seems like are being pushed from on high, you know, down to the rest of us. I think that there are reasons why the people pushing those agendas want them to happen. And then there are the reasons that they tell the people to convince them that it's a good idea. Mm. Um, and the reasons that they tell people that it's a good idea with the trans stuff, why these fucking creepy ass teachers are, you know, getting on TikTok and saying all their stupid shit that their reasons are that it's fair. It's, you know, accepting it's, uh, it makes the world a better place, um, which is stupid. 
Um, but I think that the trans thing from on high ties into the same shit we've been talking about. Depopulation, keeping people from having babies. Uh, you know, you, it, you it fuck might. these people's hormones up and they're not having kids. Mm. You, you make... You know, this is, I guess, going to be even more controversial, but you convince people that it's fine to be gay. Gay people don't have babies. You know, there's no butthole babies, you know? No butthole babies. Uh, so, you know, I, I think th- that's where I'm at on it. I think that it's all related to population control. That's, that's an interesting conspiracy angle on, on the trans thing. I, you know, that is interesting. Um, but I'll say what's more interesting is that how this quote was responded to. Oh, yeah? So, let me go back here. All right, so, the first response I get to this is, you don't believe trans people's rights should be protected? So, remember, all I said was, this might be something to consider for postmodernists and trans activists. So, it's not, I'm not, not just talking about trans activists. I throw in postmodernists. Why? Because they're the ones that say nothing has meaning. So, uh, you know, I, I'm, I, want, I want to hear what a postmodernist would say about this. He says, so, you must, you must be a bigot. No, yeah. and and to me, he asks a question. You don't believe trans people's rights should be protected? Question mark. Fine, fair enough. I respond by answering, well, not his question because it had nothing to do with my point. Yeah. I, I responded by saying, it seems to me that the adventure of life is the discovery of one's identity. Identity categories, like all categories, force us into a mold. They rob us of that adventure. So people should be able to discover who they are mm-hmm. by living their life. That's that's important. Yeah. That's how it's always been done. And what you're doing by interfering with this natural process is who knows, but it's not good. Yeah. And so that's how I responded. His response immediately after that, do you support trans people's rights to live as they want? So <laughs> so it's like he's at, he's asked me the question a second time, right? Yeah. When I tried to dodge it. So when he asks me again, now I don't feel like it's a question. I feel like it's an accusation. Yeah. Right? If you say It is. Yeah. Do you do you do you think trans people's rights should be protected? Like that's not what I was talking about, man. This is what I was talking about. But do you think that they should be protected? Now you're accusing me. Yeah. So I told him that. I said, uh, of course, it goes without saying. But not at all the point of the passage I posted. I'm curious why it made you think otherwise and why you'd feel it appropriate to point that accusation at me. And then he backpedals and backpedals, and we and we were fine. By the end, we were fine. Uh, he he admitted that you know I'm probably a little hot under the collar about this. You know he he's he has a, a friends that maybe uh, I think maybe committed suicide or something that had that that. So he's got a sensitive yeah. a sensitive spot yeah, about yeah. it. But uh, and, and instead of thinking that his support of their confusion maybe fostered them to you know their their suicidal ideation. Mm-hmm. He's like, no, it's everybody else's problem. Yeah. You know, I didn't encourage this person to fuck their lives up. Um, you know, I don't know who that is, but I'm going to go respond to that when we're done with this podcast. Um, I'll try to be nice. Yeah. Well, uh, like I said, it ended okay, but I just thought maybe he didn't read it. He Maybe he only read what I said and not the, not the actual picture of the, of the paragraph. Maybe he didn't read it. Yeah. Um, but if he didn't, why would you immediately jump to uh, being aggressive? It seemed aggressive to me, you know? I guess define trans rights. You know, it's confrontational, right? Oh, for sure. Yeah. It was accusatory and definitely confrontational. He was definitely wanting you to be like, you know, say something that he could even tee off on you more and be like, right. oh, you are a bigot. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I'm going to give that to him when we get off of here. Um, 
But yeah, like if you're going to accuse somebody of being anti-trans rights, define trans rights because uh, what we're talking about now, if this is all trans rights, then no, I do not. I explicitly do not support trans rights. Well, my part of my issue with this is the word trans rights. Yeah. Because to say trans rights means something. It plugs things in that assumptions, right? When you say trans rights, what you what you mean is regular rights are different. Mm. That's bullshit, first of all. Bullshit. Secondly, you're creating a new category of rights that doesn't exist. That's made up. Yeah. So you're trying to get me to allow you to make up new rules for a hypothetical group of people that's also very wishy-washy. Uh, how do you draw the line around trans people? You can't. Um, you know, they have special rights now that have to be protected. Wait a minute. Wait a minute, man. We're all people, aren't we? Yeah. We're all human beings. We have we have human rights. They're protected under the Constitution. Why are you creating a new group and supposing that they have their own rights? It's like we should be protecting everyone's rights. We shouldn't be pretending that there are specific rights for specific, for specific groups of people. That's that's unnecessarily divisive. Yeah. By adding the word trans, you you. Uh, marginalize everyone else. Isn't that what you're trying to not do? You know? Don't marginalize people. Protect marginalized people. Yeah. That's what you're doing. You're marginalizing everyone else. Yeah, it's particularly not a good idea when you're, you know, these new rights that you're creating are marginalizing the majority of people on the planet. That's, That's not going to work out for you. No, well. I don't think so. Yeah. And I've said, I think I said this last week, and with everything we've been talking about in this podcast, when the food shortages hit and, you know, we're paying $10 per gallon for gas and, you know, the heat's not coming on in the fucking winter. If you start talking to me about trans rights, um, you know, hopefully we're not in person for your sake. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, because people are not going to be putting up with this shit because the vast majority of people in the world don't fucking care. Yeah. These aren't real problems. Yeah. They're first world privilege problems. They're not real problems. They're af- people are afraid to speak out because they'll get shouted down by the mob. The mob might dox them and fucking get them fired. Um, but, yeah, I mean, if you don't have a job because the economy's taking a downturn, what the fuck do you have to lose, you know? Um, so, I, you know, <laughs> I don't know. I think it's a... I, so, I think that... These people who are pushing this sort of stuff right now, this is what they're currently pushing. But if society, if we get to a point where people don't care about this anymore, the people who are pushing this from on high, they'll just pivot to something else. And they're going to leave these trans rights activists in the fucking dust. Mm-hmm. And they're not going to give a fuck about them anymore. Yeah, you're right. That's happened throughout history. Mm-hmm. You look at... um Soviet Russia. I mean, I can't off the top of my head. I can't even think of like what the issues they were pushing for were anymore. But you had these people who were, you know, this is the cause that we're pushing for. And as soon as Lenin has power and he doesn't need those people anymore, they're up against the wall. Yeah. And I think, you know, I don't think anybody likes to be used. And I'm really sensitive to manipulation. I'm just seeing it more and more everywhere. And, And I and I'm less patient about it. People don't like being manipulated. And I think people need to wake up and realize that anything you hear 
uh, from a politician or on the news or on social media. Uh, any trend whatsoever that you hear is manipulation. Yeah. I don't know where it's coming from. I don't know if it's centralized or not, but it's, it is manipulation. You are being manipulated. For sure. <clears throat> the fact that we're talking about trends at all right now is, is successful manipulation of us. Yeah. You know, I, as I was saying that, I, I spotted something that might be a weakness in myself, and it's that... So when that happens, when things get worse and we care, uh, we're not pretending that we care about trans rights anymore. Mm -hmm. uh, and like I said, when the elites, the people who are trying to seize power have power and they abandon these trans rights activists and those trans right, rights activists are up against the wall, there is definitely a part of me that says, good, mm -hmm. I don't feel bad for you at all. Look what you've brought on yourselves. Any, anybody who gets power and abuses it, which they absolutely have. Oh, yeah. Uh, anybody who gets power and, and immediately wants to uh, leverage it against other people, even if you classify them as the enemy, you're doing exactly the wrong thing, exactly what you're, what you're complaining about in the first place. Mm -hmm. You get power, you abuse it, and you expect that when that power goes away, you're not going to suffer for that. You are going to suffer for that. You know? Yeah. It's an eye for an eye, baby. Uh, so that I de there is a big part of me and maybe even like the biggest part of me that feels that way. But there is this part of me now that is like, you know, maybe I should have compassion for these people. You know, even though I completely disagree with them, maybe when they're up against the wall, maybe I should not feel good about that. Um, maybe I should even defend them. Uh, yeah, perhaps. But... I'll tell you what, the way that they're behaving now makes me less likely to do that, um, especially if it means that I'm going against the wall. You know, mm -hmm. if I speak up for them, I'm up against the wall with them. I yeah. can tell you, you know, that I probably won't at that point because of the way that they acted now. Um, and maybe I'm not even, maybe I'm like a coward. And even if it was somebody who stood up for something that I do believe in, maybe I would still be quiet then. I'm not trying to build myself up as some like hero. I don't know what I would do. Mm. Um, I think that humans have a huge degree of an instinct for self-preservation, you know? Absolutely. Um, so, yeah, I just don't know. I, th I, I, like, I wonder what would Jesus do, you know? Well, as much as an eye for an eye is true and biblical, um, do unto others is also true mm. and biblical. Um, and I think taking the higher ground, there's something to that. Yeah. And it's leading by example. You know, there's something to that, man. Yeah. Uh, they definitely make it difficult, though. Um, yeah, I just wonder if somebody who got a pass, who's somebody who benefited from mercy after they lost power, after abusing it, and you give them mercy and don't do the same to them, are those people grateful or are they just waiting till they can do it to you again? You know, some of them are. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, snakes sure. in the grass, man. Snakes Absolutely. in the grass. You know, I've been, you know, the last episode we did was, you know, it, it was a, a small portion of the episode, but we called it Kyle's pull towards Orthodox Christianity. Yeah. And there's definitely, I'm glad that I kind of, you know, I still have interest. I still think that like Germanic paganism is cool. Like the aesthetic of it is awesome. And the stories are great, you know? Mm -hmm. And I don't think that there's not value in those stories either. But having been digging into Christianity more, man, I, I think 
Dude, I'm like, I think I'm on the verge of becoming a Christian. Like, it's a, there's powerful shit in there, man. There is. And a lot of it has to do with a lot of the stuff that I'm into. Like, um, like the fact that the Orthodox Church, they existed through Soviet Russia. And I I don't know if you ever listened to it, but uh, I I recommended Daryl Cooper's episode. Uh, I forget what it was called now. The Inhumans or the Unhumans or something like that. And it was about soviet russia and they're just brutal you know like i I can imagine that if you were living in that area and you were a religious person you would think this is the apocalypse this is the end of times Mm. um and the orthodox church survived through all of that um by doing like uh like brave new world shit by like going underground Mm. and continuing Mm. uh so that that piques my interest it's like this group of people um the church has a you know, like a survival mechanism. Or, um, yeah, or so, something mattered so much to them that they were able to preserve it against all odds and that they wanted to preserve it against all odds. Like, what made it, what, what motivates a person to do that? It has to be some serious shit. You yeah. know, there must be something to it, right? For sure. So that's a big part of it. And then also, uh, I've been reading uh, The Jewish Revolutionary Spirit, and uh, which a lot of people would call an anti-Semitic book. Uh, but having started reading it, it doesn't seem anti-Semitic to me. It seems like it's a person who's willing to assess the history of, you know, Jewish people um, and be honest about it. And that's a problem for a lot of people. Mm. Um, and But one of the things, I, I'm just through the introduction and part of the way through the first chapter, it is a fucking dense book. Oh, yeah. Um, but one of the things E. Michael Jones talks about in that book is how the Jewish people before Christ and even after Christ, um, they were looking for the Messiah, the prophesied Messiah, mm-hmm. to come and be like a military leader, right. a political leader. Yep. Uh, and then you get this guy, Jesus, who comes along and he's saying, no, that's not what we're doing. And they reject him. Yeah. You know? And there's a lot of debate about what is a Jewish person because it's, you know, it's, it is this ambiguous amorphous, like, is it a religion? Is it a culture? Is it a race? Mm -hmm. And he says that the Jewish person, the Jew is a person who rejects Christ, regardless of your race, regardless of your culture. uh, The Jew is the person who rejects Christ and that Christ is Logos. Mm. And what is, what is that? Um, well, logos is a Greek word. It's a Greek word that means word. But it I all, say logos because that's how I understand that it's supposed to be. Oh, pronounced. maybe, maybe, yeah. I, I'd be interested to know if I've been pronouncing it wrong. But yeah, that's how Jordan Peterson pronounces it too. Is logos? Yeah. But e. Michael Jones and other people say logos. Yeah. L O G O S. So it. So the Greek word means word, and it's the word that you hear in John where it says. Does it mean word though? Well, it means it means thought or psyche, but it also means word. Yeah. Um, so it, it you, you there's a way in which you can understand it to mean something like consciousness, the place where words come from. Yeah, exactly. You know? Yeah. So Christ, it, like you said, in the beginning of, of the, the, what gospel is it? Is it John? John? Yeah. yeah. Um, in the beginning was the word. The word was with God and the word was God. Yeah. Uh, but if you replace that word with logos... And what you just said, logos is, mm-hmm. uh, which was what again? How did you? S- I would say it's it's consciousness, the place that where words come from. Okay. Yeah. So if that's what logos is, 
and the Jews are rejecting Logos. Um, mm. They're rejecting, you know, consciousness. They're mm. reje- um, and it's like, uh, what did he say? It's that uh, that Logos is like the combination of like, you know, the Hebrew, that old Hebrew religion, that Hebrew God and like Greek thought, Greek philo- philosophical thought. Yeah. It's like the marriage of those two yeah, things. Absolutely. Um, and that that is what defines the Jew. It's interesting. So it's almost like he's saying that Hellenic philosophy brought consciousness to Judaism that brought it brought consciousness to I want to say the unconscious but it it the combination of the Hellenic philosophy and the Jewish religion together is a is a conscious faith and not an unconscious one mm-hmm. and I, I can understand that from a psychological perspective I don't know that the audience can <laughs> I don't know that I could explain it very well but uh uh, but that's interesting. Um, it's like um, I, I, I get an image of like a, a body, and a body is bestowed a spirit, and that's what makes it alive. Yeah. And in this example, in that analogy, the spirit is Hellenic philosophy, and the body is the Jewish faith. Yeah. Together, they're Christianity. And that makes sense, too, in the sense of um, rejection is a conscious thing. You have to like choose to do that, you know? So you're presented with this, uh, this logos and you, uh, conscious, you decide, no, I, I'm not interested in that. Um, and I forget where I was going with that. It's, you know, so, you know, this is an interesting, this is an interesting topic. Um, But I don't I don't know where I was going with that either. So it's it's just a, it's a really interesting book so far, and like I said, I'm not even through the first chapter. Uh, but he he's talking about how in the, a lot of this first chapter is centered on the Gospel of John because that is the the book that has the most to do with Christ's relationship with the Jews, um, and all of this stuff. It's not necessarily explicit, but some of it is explicit. But a lot of it is implicit in how the Pharisees. And Jesus are talking to each other. It's like they're both Jews. It can't be anti-Semitic because the hero is a Jew. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah. Um, but it's like they say, you know, they're talking to Jesus about his, you know, saying that he's the Son of Man, he is the prophesied Messiah, uh, and they're rejecting him. And they're, you know, basically, he's Jesus is saying to them, you in rejecting me are rejecting the faith of your fathers. If you, if you were truly the sons of Abraham and the sons of Moses, you would follow me. Mm. And that, um, you know, that he breaks it down. He's breaking down like language, like, uh, in, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Translations. Like at one point they say that they are the sperma of, um, Abraham. And Jesus, when he replies to them, does not use that word. It's like he, they are saying we are ethnically the same people as Abraham. And Jesus is saying, but we are the children of Abraham. We are the, the people who are taking up, you know, the people who are continuing that legacy mm-hmm. that you are right now rejecting. So that's interesting. So there are a couple of things come to my mind. One thing is that in the, in the Bible, the Jews identify 
non-Jews as Gentiles. It's like there's the chosen race, and then there's everyone else. Mm-hmm. And what what this author, what's his name again? E. Michael Jones. What he what he is doing is flipping the script and saying that once Christianity comes around, the, he's using the word Jew like the Jews would use the word Gentile. He's saying you're either a Christian or you're a Jew. Yeah. Right. Because because Jews are the ones that rejected Christ. If you rejected Christ, you're a Jew. It doesn't have to do with your race or or religion. It has to do with that fact only. And here's where I think that's interesting. The Old Testament talks about um, the logos. They don't use that word because it's not written in Greek. But they do say in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and uh, that His Spirit was on the face of the waters, mm-hmm. on the on the face of the deep. Yeah. Okay. So. Um, that is the exact same thing we hear in John, where we hear um, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. Um, whatever the Word is, is the Spirit that was on the face of the deep. The so Jews talk about that in the book of Genesis. The Jews understand Logos. But when, but when Jesus showed up to tell the Jews that Logos becomes man, and that's what I am, I am God. The Jews said, we're not. The truth is, we are. Yeah. If you, if you reject that, if you look at Jesus as an example and say, God becomes man, here's your example. And the Jews say, I don't believe that. Well, you're saying, you're denying yourself. Yeah. You're denying what you, what you are. What you were born to be. What you were born to be. Yeah, yeah that's interesting. Yeah, it is. It's very interesting. And he talks about how, you know... The Jews are the chosen people. The Hebrew people are the chosen people. And that what he's saying is that they were the chosen people because they are the people from which this ideology was birthed. Yeah. You know? Um, but that they have rejected it. You know? It's it's interesting because when you said that, it made me think of like a virus spreading. Like we, ha- we got this faith, we got this tradition, and we could spread it like a virus. We could spread it all over the world. But... The Jews do is they don't evangelize; they keep it to themselves. Mm-hmm. They pass it along from from bloodline to bloodline, and they don't marry they don't marry anyone else. You know, it's almost like you got this great thing and you're keeping it all to yourself. Um, I don't. There's all kinds of like, there's all kinds of shit about you know the greedy money grubbing Jewish people. I'm not, I don't mean that. I just mean in the in the vein of what you're talking about. You get the the legacy of Abraham, and instead of sharing it with the world, you keep it to yourself. Mm-hmm. That doesn't sound good. Yeah, that's you know? that's like some hand rubbing going on, you know. <laughs> um, and it's like maybe, I mean, if you believe what Christians believe, maybe it's the worst kind of hand rubbing. You know, it's like this: I'm going to keep it to myself. This like most important thing ever. And what did the Christians do, by the way, when they? first arose, they carried the Jewish faith with them all over the world. Yeah. They did what the Jews didn't do. The Christians spread the virus. Yeah. You know? Um, and that's also to control populations. I'm just fucking with you, man. I didn't even, I don't even understand the... I was talking about a virus spreading. Oh, oh I see. I see. <laughs> um, yeah. And another thing that, like, draws me to Christianity is that you've got... So the Jews were oppressed by, you know, by peoples throughout history. And at that point, it was by the Romans. And they were super pissed off about it. 
Uh, they wanted that military revolutionary Messiah to come. Yeah. And it, when Jesus came and was not that, they rejected him for it. But he was successful. Hundreds of years later, Rome is a fucking Christian state. That's true. Um, so that's powerful, man. It's funny. There's two other characters that come to my mind. The one of them we talked about before is Barkova. So you've got other people in the first century that were Christ-like figures that people thought were the Messiah. Mm-hmm. And Barkova was a military leader. And brought ruin down on, and on bra- Israel. Absolutely. Man. But then another another thing comes to mind, which is, um, uh, you might call it controversial from a Christian perspective, Muhammad. So Muhammad, when he left Mecca, he was basically kicked out of Mecca because he was start stirring up religious uh, conflict. And um, they were like, look, man, you got to go. So he left, um, basically fled for his life, and he went to Medina. Mm. And then he built up his um, following, and then he built up his army, and then he went back to Mecca. Mm. When, he, when he marched in on Mecca, he marched in on a horseback, right? So he was a soldier, and he took over, took back the Holy Land. That's what the Jews were expecting, they were expecting a man on a horse mm-hmm. leading an army. And what they got was a man on a donkey all by himself. You know? Yep. It's interesting. It is interesting. Um, and so, to kind of tie this back to what we were talking about a minute ago um, with, like, libertarian, you know, my and your to, to some degree, too, like, kind of rejection of libertarianism on some level. Like, I still value a ton of libertarian philosophy, you mm-hmm. know? It's not like I'm throwing all of it out. I'm not throwing the baby out with the bathwater. But I think that libertarianism is in some way throwing the baby out with the bathwater because Christianity um, and that that Jesus is, you know, Jesus's attitude of we are not going to be a militaristic movement. That is like kind of, you know, the spark that began the flame of liberal ideology on some level. Right. Yeah. Um, and libertarianism is a, like, it's almost like a Christian movement that has taken Christ out of it. It's like, you know, I've been saying for a while that Christian, or I'm sorry, yeah, Christianity has an atheist problem, which might be true too, but uh, libertarianism has an atheist problem. You know, like, you, I, I literally don't think that you can be a, uh, um, what's the word I'm looking for? An atheist without being a nihilist. I mean, so you've got these, this ideology of libertarianism where it's like, you know, it's all... It's all reason. It's all rationality, um, science. Um, and they've taken the thing out of it that keeps us from thinking that everything is pointless. Yeah. Yeah, I'm with you. I also think as much as libertarianism suffers from an atheist problem, um, communism does too, ob- oh, obviously. Yeah, for sure, yeah. Obviously. And like it's, explicitly. Explicitly. Yeah. And it's funny because some of those... There's such a thing as Christian communists, and yeah. they and they say Jesus was a communist. Yeah, that he gave away all his possessions, all of his followers did. They lived communally, and uh, you know that's how you should live. You should live like Jesus lived. I think that I've talked about this on the podcast. I think that there's some truth in that. I mean, I think um, like when I was at the height of my anarcho-capitalist shit, uh, I started to notice how like how much the anarcho-capitalist and anarcho-communist ideologies were, like, rubbing up against each other. Like, they have this, like, line down the middle that it's like, no, you know, these are the bad guys. 
but like a lot of the stuff that they think is the exact same. I mean, it's um, oh yeah, you know, it's like uh, yeah, like what what do the anarcho capitalists think is going to happen? That they're going they're going to form these communities where they have free trade. Okay, well, you formed a community, this like voluntary community. That's like communism on some level. I, I mean. I don't know, man. Yeah, yeah. If communism was voluntary, I'd have no problem with it. Sure. Uh, <laughs> yeah. If it was voluntary and like, you know, atomized, like smaller. Yeah, you exactly. know, if it's not centrally controlled yeah. over the entire fucking world. Yeah, hippie hippie communes are fine. Yeah. I, I mean, I've got my problems with hippie communes too. I think that you, I think that in like a hippie commune, you kind of leave the door open for there being like a, a cult leader you know a guy who's going to come in and start fucking all the women snake and, in the grass man yeah and, but i mean honestly i think that that's probably true for anarcho-capitalist com- communities too like you're going to have this community where people are able to trade freely and you know that's good but then you're going to have a guy who like elon musk who's way fucking better at it than everyone and he's going to be fucking all the bitches you know <laughs> uh so and he's got, not only is he going to be fucking all the bitches, but he's going to be so good at it that he's going to be in control. Yeah. He's the elite of the community. There are always going to be elites of the community. There's no getting rid of that. And those, those elites should be merit-based, and at least the majority of people should agree that they deserve it. Sure. You know? And that does not happen. And they ideally would not be as blatantly hostile to us as they currently yeah. are. We're coming up on two hours I got one thing that I wanted to try to squeeze in uh, because I'm I'm more fascinated by it than you might be, but I want to run this by you. So somebody posted an article and was talking about the Big Bang and physics and what we know about the Big Bang. So for those of you who need an explanation, the idea was that uh, the universe is expanding, just keeps going out and out and out and out, further and further away, and the further it gets, the faster it goes. It's just going like it's exploding. The universe mm-hmm. is exploding. So if you could rewind time, right, everybody every, everybody agrees for the most part that if you could rewind time, the universe would come all the way back together and it would, it would be compressed down to the, to, the, to the size of almost nothing. And all that energy contained in that little pinprick of whatever, of potential, that's what was released when the Big Bang occurred and the universe formed. This is the idea. Well, if, the idea is in physics now is what can we know about that? And um, one of the theories that was proposed I, kind of blew my mind. I don't, is people will say that the Big Bang doesn't require God, that it doesn't, it, that it, it's a random uh, event based upon the initial conditions of the universe, and they'll tell you all this fancy-sounding scientific stuff. That there's no order to it. That there's no, that there, it's not a clockwork universe. God didn't press a button. God didn't snap his fingers. You know, it, it's not like that. It was, it was completely random. Physics now says something pretty interesting. At least this has been hypothesized. Um, and I have to put a pen in this and tell you one other thing, which is, you remember that documentary we were talking about, the story of maths or whatever it was? Mm-hmm. He was talking about how bees make their honeycombs in hexagon shapes. You remember that? Mm-hmm. They were saying, why? Why do bees make their, their uh, houses in hexagon shapes? Honeycombs, why? Like something about stability, right? It, it's, it's, a, it's about efficiency because okay. it, it takes a lot of work to make the wax so they have to make the minimum amount of wax possible because otherwise they're wasting energy so nature nature has found a way to program connected hexagons because if you connected circles 
there'd be wasted space. Yeah. If you connected triangles, you know, if, if things wouldn't be as efficient. Turns out hexagons are the most efficient way of packing in what you need with a minimum amount of effort. I tell you that because physicists are now saying that the, the singularity of the Big Bang was a hexagon. Can you imagine like a three-dimensional hexagon? Not random, a perfectly mathematical shape. Because it's the most efficient, the energy contained in the Big Bang would be most efficiently contained in a hexagon, a three-dimensional hexagon. There's probably a different word for that that I don't know. Uh, a hexahedron or something, right? Yeah. Um, and anyway, I just thought, fuck, you can imagine the singularity is not just this pinprick. If you could pull out your God magnifying glass and you could look at that bitch, it would be the entire universe, all possibilities contained in a microscopic 3D hexagon. That's crazy. What, is that? what does that mean? I don't know what it means. It means, but... it means that there's structure and order at the beginning. Mm. Perfect mathematics and a shape, right? It's not chaos. It's order. Yep. That's amazing. That is amazing. Because where does it come from? You can say it comes from a designer. You could say that nature is the designer. And either way, that sounds like God to me, man. Yeah, I don't know what the difference is. Um, and the fact that, you know, 10 years ago, I would have been like, no, it's just nature, bro. Like, it's so fucking cringe, man. Like, uh, it's just embarrassing. It's not, it's not embarrassing. Oh, it's, it's fucking embarrassing. Because it, because, because it, there's the difference is understanding the person that shaped the hexagon as a, as a, as a being like you and I, something like you and something, I, yeah. or imagining that whatever force it is that keeps, that moves in the universe and causes all the things that have happened to happen, whatever that is, is the same thing that made the hexagon. You don't have to put, you don't have to put a smiley face on that and, and a name tag and call it, you know, Mr. Jesus or God yeah, or something. Yeah. But, you know, that that's the thing. It's like, you can be perfectly legitimate in criticizing the name tag, you know, anthropomorphized God. It's something more like a process. It's something more like the most fundamental reality. It's not a person. It doesn't, it, you know, it's not like you and I in the way we, th you know, religion tries to pretend. That has something to do with our form or has something to do with our abilities or it has something to do with our consciousness. I don't know. Um, either way, we're talking about God. You know, it's just a different way of understanding it. I think that's the most interesting question in the world, man. The fact that people understand God so differently, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. So. I'm, I'm willing to bet that the, the most atheist scientist imaginable, if we sat down and talked about what's most fundamental, that person would describe what I would call God. I could never convince that person that he's describing God. But once he leaves the room, I could say, that's that was God, a great definition of God. Yeah, yeah. You know? Yeah. Um... Yeah, I don't really know what else to say about that. I, that is crazy, though. I thought it was crazy. Um, the only other thing I can tack on to this is, uh, did you see the article about uh, Rocky Maivia? Or whatever, whatever Ro Rocky's, Rock da Rocky's dad. Oh, okay. was, he, was he Maivia? No. Uh, yeah, he was Rocky Johnson. Rocky Johnson. Yeah. Shout out to Matthew. Uh, he Apparently... Um, He's got a bunch of kids that he didn't know about all over the all over oh, the place. Big surprise so there. Th there was like a, an article. There was like a montage of a bunch of uh, 
siblings. The Rock has siblings. You know, yeah. they're all older than him, I think. But uh, it's like, well, you know, The Rock found out he's got brothers and sisters. You know, that's kind of cool, man. I mean, it. I think it would definitely like put a different spin on the way you think about your dad. You know, that's like kind of shitty on yeah. some level. Yeah. Um, but it'd be cool to find out that you had brothers and sisters that you didn't know about. Some of those guys have like perfectly chiseled jaws that look just like I just bet. like the rock good jeans man hey you know what there was one other thing we talked a lot about jews and i don't know why i didn't plug this in when we were talking about jews but uh but i don't know if you know this but orthodox jews i don't know if maybe they all do but orthodox jews will put these little torah scrolls in these little containers and then they will they'll screw them in or affix them to the doorways so when you walk through it's like a protection it's like a, a protection like a blessing you, you walk through the doorways you have to pass the scroll yeah so, um, is that so, the mezizah? Is that what that is, or is that something different? I wouldn't. I have no. I don't know. I, don't I think know. that the mezizah is something that they put on the door okay. or around the door frame. So it might be. It might not be too. I don't know. Well, I have a, I have a couple of uh, um, Messianic Jews living here. They have one on their bedroom door. Oh. But in any case, um, my wife works for some Orthodox Jews. Very you know traditional people, and uh, I heard a story that kind of blew my mind that he had some bad luck. He had some bad luck, some things that weren't going his way. So he calls the rabbi to come check all of his scrolls. And the rabbi said, um, oh, this scroll, something happened to it. It wasn't quite right. Well, I don't know what it was. He fixed it. And then all of his problems went away. And so so this guy believes in that level of superstition that, that these scripture scrolls all over the place are giving him actual protection and that when things are going wrong in his life his mind immediately goes to the scrolls like there must be something wrong with the scrolls i've mm-hmm. got to fix it so my life gets back on track i mean i didn't have any idea that that level of superstition still existed in the first world and i was very very baffled by that because the explanation is he believes that was the solution to his problem what do you think of that um I don't know. I think, um, like, there's definitely the part of me that still, you know, I'm still, I talk a big game about thinking that science is, like, retarded at this point, and I think that it is on some level, but there's another part of me that's like, um, you know, is it placebo? Is it, you know, the power of positive thinking? Um, But there's another part of me that is way bigger than it ever has been before. It's like, who knows, man? You know, who knows? Um I'm interested to see what that part of you becomes, man. I'm 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 enjoying watching this. I'm gonna become change. a monk. <laughs> <laughs> and on that note. Well, there you have it. That's one avenue explored, but infinitely more still to go. I hope you enjoyed thinking along with us. I know, I know. It's not easy work thinking it's hard and full of uncertainties but i'm grateful for the company as we trek through this together here's to hoping that the juice is worth the squeeze see what i did there let's find out together in the next episode